Binge Boys, we're here, talking programs from streaming. Hi, I'm Hal Rudnick, and across from me on the Zoom screen, Lon Harris. Lon, what's going on, man? Where is here? Every week we start like, hey, we're here, it's the Binge Boys. Like, we're we're not. It's This is not a location. Yeah, this is, we're anywhere. Cyberspace, um, like, just existing. Where is here? You're asking a philosophical yeah. question. I am. It's rhetorical right from the start. Because it's like, well, like, we're, we're wherever somebody is who's listening to this. We're, I'm assuming. We're here. You're there. You're yeah. in your car. You're laying in bed. You're at the kitchen table. I hope you're not in your car. For your own sake, I hope you're not commuting at this point. I hope we're all locked down still. But. Uh, mate, you know what? If you're an essential worker out there commuting, thank you and uh, appreciate you. Yeah, no, I definitely hope that if they are in their car, it's because they're an essential worker and they're commuting. They're not gallivanting around town leisurely. Or maybe they have to go pick up some groceries. Or maybe they're on their way <laughs> to the liquor store. Yeah, okay. That's fine. If you're in your car because you ran out of booze and you were like, this is going to be a 45-minute booze run, better throw on a podcast, I salute you. That's fine. That's um, exactly but I will say pause us right now and turn us back on when you get your booze and get home because this show better drunk it's better when you're drunk have you tested this theory out have you listened both sober yes and i'm drunk? drunk right now and i'm enjoying it way more yeah no it's definitely more fun to record drunk that yes. i think goes without saying lawn no i am i am sober um i am uh pounding coffee <laughs> uh lawn. sober is a judge for podcasting that's the rudnick difference oh yes other than that, I am <laughs> three sheets to the wind. What is happening in uh, any any news in in your in in the lawn world before we get into streaming news? No, there's a, like that's what I mean. Like it's the law where there's not allowed to be news in my world. I would be violating a sacred trust if I had news <laughs> for you. Um, well, uh, you know, your beard looks well-groomed. Thank you. That's the news. The news is I groomed my beard. That's the big happening around It does here. look kind of combed and uh, yeah. kempt. You know. Nicely done. Sometimes. Occasionally you want to be kempt. I mean, yeah. I mean, sometimes you are looking like you just emerged from, uh, like, prehistoric times. I mean, listen, it's just it's just you and me here. This is this does not have a visual component, this podcast. So I, I let my hair down, you know, this is casual, baby. Right on. And I, but I try to paint a picture with my words. I didn't I didn't feel like I listen. What I'm saying is how I didn't feel like we had the kind of relationship where I had to dress up for you. Now that I know that we do, I will be to the nines every time. That's all I'm asking. Make me feel special once in a while. All right. I, I, I have a zoot suit just for this occasion. I that will would be on. a riot. Yeah. Ugh. Sorry. No. <laughs> no cherry pop and daddy's references on my shows. That's the Harris difference. There we go. And uh, no one nine... will reference the cherry pop and daddies. That's my yes. promise uh, to you. For, the for listener. you Gen Zers listening, if there are any, those are 90s swing slash rock yeah. bands. The yeah. 90s, there was a brief swing revival. It's documented by the film Swingers. I think a lot of people today, like if you're a kid today and you go back and you happen to see Swingers, 
like, what a bizarre historical artifact it must be. First of all, because, like, the Iron Man Star Wars guy is in it. Uh, but also, you might think they just made up the idea of there being a swing revival among young people in Los Angeles at the time. They were not. That was a real thing that happened. Oh, yeah. People would go to the Derby in Los Feliz. Yeah. Or... And yes, the, the Cherry Poppin' Daddies was the name of a real band that would play that, that played that kind of music. Yep. And one of their songs was Zoot Suit Riot, which is what Al was referencing. There we go. Um, once again, uh, Hal and Lon break down 90s antiquated references. This should be the podcast. It should be like a five-part deep dive where you and I just talk about the 90s swing revival. I mean, it is like we are breaking down like old, that is old slang at this mm-hmm. point. I saw Royal Crown Review multiple times, folks. Let's <laughs> talk about it. Let's fucking talk about Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. Oh, yeah. Boss Tones? No, no, come on. That's their ska. That's not their ska. They're a, they're a straight-up ska punk band. I, I had to go one reference too many. Lon, let's, l- l- before I make any more trouble, let's get into some streaming. <laughs> you left squirrel nut zippers right there. Oh, god damn it. I'm feeling squirrely about that. Lon, let's get into streaming news. Let's not. Let's just keep talking about squirrel nut zippers. Uh, okay, so Martin Scorsese... You remember this guy, always making trouble, always making trouble with the young movie fans. Oh, yeah. Marvel movies are a Mar- Marvel movies are a theme park ride. They're not a real yeah. movie. The, it's not a real the, entertainment. It's the a- bane of, of Zoomer movie fans' existences. He's yes. back. Uh, he wrote a new essay for Harper's Magazine. Uh, and it's, it's largely about Fellini. Like, 90% of the essay is just about how much he admires the film's of Fellini and how singular yes. they are and how influential Fellini was. But the introduction and the conclusion and kind of what the overarching idea that he's talking about is about how streaming services, in his opinion, undervalue the art of cinema. And his the quote is, uh, streaming services have systematically devalued, sidelined, demeaned, and reduced the art of cinema. And... Mm. Uh, but but I think that a lot of the the reactions I've seen are just the same old usual like oh the old man hates streaming and this, people want to watch movies where they want to and shut up you don't get it you know and like yeah so, so what but, is it is the headline old man screams at cloud well or? it's just and every time this comes up two people try to like knock Scorsese like oh well the old guy who only makes movies about old guys who do crime has an <laughs> has an opinion. And uh, when he was I, a younger man, he made movies about younger guys doing crime. I, I think, first of all, <laughs> I hate that whole thing because Scorsese's made movies about all sorts of different things. Yes, he's made Age of Innocence. He's made Kundun. Yeah, they're, they're not just movies about he made the, guy, the movie white about guys Nick, doing Nicolas crime. Cage driving an ambulance. But even the white guys doing crime movies aren't just about white guys doing crime. They have deeper meanings. Or, but whatever, that's not I what know, I wanted to. The, the Jordan Belfort movie, Wolf of Wall Street, right. also that's was not, about like, white that guys is about. It was a also white about guy white doing guys fucking. Right. He's also doing drugs. But uh but the, but that's not the point I the point I want to make. Well, I, I I did want to point out like there's there's always so much nuance in all this stuff that just gets lost. And I think that so much of the conversation is sort of responding to a thing that I don't even think Scorsese said because by his own admission, he brings up in the essay, he made the Irishman for Netflix, he's making Killers of the Flower Moon for Apple. Like, he's not anti-streaming services existing. He also highlights Mubi and Criterion Collection as streaming services that are doing a good job, in his opinion, because it's curating. Like, really, he's making this much more subtle distinction between sites that curate, so, like, human beings are saying, 
here are some films that are worthwhile that you might like, that you should check out, that we recommend, that we're featuring, versus the Amazons and the Netflixes of the world where everything is algorithmic. Like, that's really his... His issue is with algorithms choosing content, which just turns people into consumers. And it's all just like our program is going to put whatever in front of you that you're most likely to click next. And that becomes what matters instead of art. Yeah. And you, the viewer at home, are consuming like a mindless drone. And it's just like it's releasing them like pellets into your mouth. Here's the thing. If you're upset with Scorsese and what he's saying you're probably wrong because uh, two reasons. The man's filmography is just about peerless. Second reason, he is a walking film encyclopedia. His appreciation of classic cinema is maybe he, he is among the greatest living film minds. So for those two reasons, if he ha if he wants to say something about film, Zip it and listen for a minute. And <laughs> I mean, like, I don't think you always have to agree. Like, people get so upset. Like, he's not just an old guy with an opinion. Like, he's just a guy with an opinion. You don't, you don't have to fight a war over everything. Martin's but there, if there was says, one guy. If there was one guy who it's like, okay, you know, I'm gonna. Scorsese makes a point. He's he's Scorsese. He is a living legend. Sure. And I and like I love the guy's films. He's incredibly talented. But I, I just I feel like people get so caught up in this idea that like 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 would you expect Martin Scorsese to love Spider-Man? Like it just I, I just feel like it's such a weird thing that we can't just hear him out. Here's a perspective. You don't have to agree. But people get so upset that it's like this betrayal, like like he doesn't understand filmmaking because he has these these hot takes and, like, in this case, I think the take makes a lot of sense. It's like... You know, I had well, a lot of fun with him coming out against Marvel movies because it it's just fun fodder to talk about. But here's the thing. If you don't understand that Endgame is a different kind of theatrical experience than Moonlight, you've then you don't understand movies. And he was just kind of making that point, you know? Yeah. I, I, I mean, like, you know, today it's, it's really just this idea about, you know, like we're, we're treating everything, TV shows and films and, and documentaries and, and every commercials and every YouTube videos, like everything goes in the pot and it all becomes content. And he's saying that, look, look, there are going to be certain films that are like, well, this is not just content. This is its own singular thing. And that's what he's using Fellini. He's kind of using Fellini to be like, Fellini films aren't, you, you can't describe them. They're not, it's not an algorithmic friendly kind of thing. You can't put them in a bucket and say, well, it's an Italian film and it's a, it's about a filmmaker and it's black and white and it was made in this era. So we're going to feed it to people who like these other things. It's a singular thing that exists for itself that deserves to be presented to people in that spirit and that you can't really do that if you're HBO Max. And I think, I think that's, that's kind a, of what he's saying. I think that's a great point because we go... I mean, we used to go to the cinema. I haven't been to the movies in, uh, gee whiz, since I saw Invisible Man in 20. It better be a fucking year, you son of a bitch. <laughs> You're like, I haven't seen a film since October when I was in a packed crowd. Like, you, like how dare you? But he, he does make a good point. It does, just as you were describing, I think a lot of the stuff just goes into the content bin. And it's like, oh, what's new on Netflix? And then it's just like, there's barely any uh, delineation between series, 
fiction series, docu series, uh, and and movies, and it's all just kind of a mishmash. Whereas you, when you go to the cinema, like you're going to see the new David Lynch film, you're going to see the new Christopher Nolan film, or uh, yeah. So yeah. So by the way, folks, check out our new podcast, Jumping Into the Content Bin, coming soon. That's going to be good. Uh, let's move on. Uh, Tim Burton, we got to talk about this. Tim Burton is going to do his very first. He's going to direct a TV series for the very first time. Never happened before. Is this guy good anymore? Is this guy good anymore? <laughs> is this is the hot take, folks. Tim Burton good anymore? I actually thought like I think there you, you'd be lying to yourself if you didn't say and acknowledge there's there's been a drop off. Like Burton '90s Burton was just like. Hitting dingers at every at bat. Eighties Burton. Yeah, eighties. Like, well, yeah, like eighties and nineties Burton. Yeah. just like unbelievable run of success. Yes, we're we're long. not there. We're not there anymore. It's yeah. a spottier record these days. I don't mm-hmm. think it's all total garbage. Like I actually thought the Dumbo movie he did was not not that bad. There have been some real. There have been some real dark real, shadows. Yeah, there have been some real bummers. Like more like Allison. Blunderland. Yeah, I don't like Alice in Wonderland at all. I don't like Dark Shadows at all. I didn't like that Peculiar Children, Home for Peculiar Children one. Oh, you mean Emo X-Men? Yeah. Miss Miss Peregrine's yes. Foster's Home for Imaginary, whatever. Although I do like that Eva Green. I do, I, I'm a sucker for that Eva Green. Yep. Anyway, uh, so, so today's Tim Burton live action Netflix series. It's about Wednesday Adams, but she's a little older. She's gone away to the Nevermore Academy, uh, and she solves spooky mysteries. Uh, that, that is what this show is going to be. It does not involve the Wednesday Adam. You remember there was a YouTube show about a grown up Wednesday Adams. That was very funny. Not connected to that in any way. Uh, we did hear a rumor like a month or two ago that Tim Burton had an Adams family project at Netflix we sort of assumed it was going to be the whole family. Now we know, no, it is just this Wednesday Adams themed spinoff. Didn't we just talk about the show last week and it was called Velma? That's Mindy Kaling's going to be Velma. Totally different. But yes, we're we're reimagining all of these characters, but, but it's like. It's, but it's another, t- you just said she's going to solve crimes. So this well, is. Well, they like, all solve crimes. There's always a groovy mystery. Velma's not at an academy, though. But th- there was no crimes being solved in the Adams family. Were there? No, we're at we're adding that to the formula. You're you're right, but I mean, what she's got to do something. Like she can't just sit around being morbid. She's got to like have a thing. No, morbid is in crime scene at the vanishing uh, at the Cecil Hotel. What? Remember that guy, morbid? Oh wow! Yes. Well, oh, geez. <laughs> yeah, she can't be morbid because morbid no. is this. Uh, never mind. We'll get she's, to that. Yeah, we'll get we'll get Spoiler there. Spoiler alert. There's a new Snyder Cut trailer. It gives us our very first look at the Joker, Jared Leto as the Joker, and Darkseid's henchmen. We got Dasad and Granny Goodness. Let me ask you a question. Is is Jared Leto's Joker still going to hurt you real bad? He can't because it's it's a dream. He appears to Batman during a dream sequence. And I don't believe he has Freddy Krueger powers. So he's incapable of hurting you. He's just there to pontificate about he does say that we live in a society so yes and th- that attached to uh the meme that yeah. was popular well, I, he, he must have done they did that on purpose had to i saw a lot of people that were imagining that this was just like they they didn't wreck it was cheesy or whatever like that was 
very purposeful. It was like, I'm the juggernaut bitch, like a little wink and a nod to the internet from the the Joker. Even though uh, there are mixed reviews about Jared Leto's Joker, I do uh, agree that we did not get to see enough of his Joker to fully, like, weigh in on it. Oh, they're not mixed. Everybody hates it. Do you know somebody who likes Jared Leto's Joker? Did it. Bad job. Bad, bad Joker. I think I'm one of those people that's like, there's no limit to how you can reinterpret these characters. What's cool about the Joker is that he's super malleable. And even I'm like, no, that's wrong, though. Like, like, there's a million ways to do it, and you picked one of the few ways there is not to do it. But the the main thing I noticed about this Joker is he has long hair, and it's not because the Joker, the character, is supposed to have long hair. It's because Jared Leto has long hair. He had long hair when he came back from his weird island and said, oh, we're going through a pandemic. He has long hair in as playing the serial killer in The Little Things, and he has long hair here because he just doesn't want to cut his hair for the part. So but the did Joker, he gain all that weight for The Little Things? So your, your theory is he's willing to put on like 40 pounds? To no, play that, was, a, that was a potbelly prosthetic. But he also he, he gained a little weight too. He must have. You can't just I, wear the. You gotta you gotta fill in in the face too. If you go back and look at him in that movie, he was skinny fat. He was because like Viola Davis too. Belly. Like in Ma Rainey, she's wearing a fat suit, but she also gained a bunch of weight so that it doesn't look weird for her to have the fat suit on. So I believe that's what my theory would be. That's what Jared Leto also did. He's committed I, enough to his craft. And I would contend that he just put on, he just stuffed some folded up. He took the sketch comedy fat guy route, which is folding up a bunch of T-shirts, putting them under your the shirt that you're wearing and uh, just being your normal self, but with a little belly. Go go watch it. He doesn't don't, look. Don't like do he's... fat face. Don't do fat face, folks. We don't appreciate it. As a member of the fat community, please. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, you know what would have improved little things for me is if he was just eating a big turkey leg in every scene in the movie, even when it doesn't make sense. Like one of those Disneyland Henry the Eighth. Oh yeah, Henry the Eighth. Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, just like in an interrogation room, scratching his belly. Just somehow somebody brought him like a huge drumstick. <laughs> and then licking his fingers. Yeah, I would, exactly. A lot of good turkey work. Um, so did you have any thoughts beyond Jared Leto's long hair on the Sirecat trailer? Can we, can we talk about Cruella next? I mean, it's too damn long. The movie, uh, like four hours. Well, yeah, I mean, as long as we're going to talk about this, I'll, I'll dig in. So here's, here's the thing. And I read, uh, this was not my initial observation. I've read other people talk about this. But Zack Snyder made this movie originally in a very different world where he thought there were going to be all kinds of other DC movies that were going to, like, pick up all these narrative threads and run with them. So a lot of the stuff that he filmed for Justice League that got taken out that presumably he's putting back in is, like, set up for movies that did not happen and now will never happen. So, like, if it's four hours, like, imagine watching a four-hour movie and, like, an hour of it is teases for sequels that you know, for a fact, won't ever get made. It's like when you're watching, like, a late X-Men movie and they're like, oh, oh maybe Mr. Sinister is going to show up. And you're like, I know for a fact that he is not. Mm-hmm. I know well, for a fact that's not him. Do you, Lon, do you think there would be any chance that uh, Warner Brothers would hear an 
the outcry from fans after this movie being like, oh, we want the full dark side movie. You know what makes me sad is that like a year ago, I would have confidently answered you. No, Hal, that would be too expensive. And those people don't all want to come back and do it anyway. And it's been too long and they have other plans and they wouldn't do that just because some loud, angry people on Twitter yelled about it. And, and now I can't say that with any confidence because right. we've now seen evidence that if Twitter freaks out loud enough and long enough, mm-hmm. WB will jump. They, they, <laughs> the studio blinked first. And so now, yes, every, every new project that fans get excited enough, uh, enough about is a new hostage crisis. That's where we're at. The, the terrorists, Hal, have truly won. <laughs> Uh, Just like the working class folks taking down the Robin Hood app via GameStop. (laughs) Who's, wait, okay. So the Snyder Cut fans are the Redditors who are short squeezing GameStop stock. Yes. The Robin Hood app is Warner Brothers in this metaphor? And GameStop stock is the the oeuvre of Zack Snyder. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna accept that because um, it was a ham it was a ham fisted. I think uh, I, I think but, I picked apart you. this. I think I diagrammed this metaphor. Appreciate wow. you, Lon. Appreciate you. Shakespearean uh, in its layers and complexity. My simple lizard brain enjoyed the trailer for the for the Snyder cut. There, there was it was flashy. It was cool. Look. Say what you will about Zack Snyder. I certainly have for many years now. The man, the man cuts a good trailer. Yeah, the man oh, makes a hell of a trailer. Like that's what he does. Stuff. Like I, mean, I, 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 I'm a sucker for the Watchmen. He may have missed his true calling: editing trailers. Quite possibly, in a world <laughs> where Zack Snyder did not make feature films, just like be the best. He might have been like the best. Like he might be the guy in hushed tones. Directors talk about like, did who made your trailer? Did Snyder do it? <laughs> that guy's fucking trailer visionary. Holy shit. His work, oh, yeah. his work is beautiful. All right. Uh, moving on. There was one more trailer I want to talk about. Not a streaming movie. So I'm in violation of our prime directive. But Yeah, this is not Binge Boys. But everybody's talking about it anyway. It will eventually come to Disney Plus because it's a Disney movie. Cruella. Emma Stone plays Cruella DeVille. It's a live action prequel to 101 Dalmatians. This is before... I don't think she skins a single puppy in this movie. I, this is pre-puppy skinning. Um, I presumed, I'll tell you this, how I thought this was going to be another, like, Maleficent, where it was going to be like, she wasn't always bad. Here's the story of why she's so determined to murder all of these puppies today. And I was, I was happy to see that it does not look like that's what they're doing. It looks more like... It's just a rise to power of this evil lady, and she's always evil, which I enjoy. I'm, I'm glad. Yeah, I mean, it adds to, uh, I guess, Cruella canon, if there is Cruella canon. Well, there is now. There is now. I mean, I guess there is. There was an animated movie. There was probably an animated sequel at some point. There was a live-action movie that had a sequel. So, yeah, that's canon. That's more than enough world-building for a canon. Yeah, it, it looked it looked fun. It looked like Emma Stone gets to have fun and play kind of a badass. You know what her character reminded me of? And it, it like she, it looked like she was playing 
sort of a villain a la Catwoman or something like that. Yeah, like well, I, a lot of people, a lot of people were making Joker jokes just because the the aesthetic of the movie, I think, is kind of recalls that a little bit. And a lot of people were referencing Harley Quinn as well. But yeah, I agree with you. It's got kind of a comic book stylized, femme fatale, over the top kind of villainess thing. And like that, I like that. I'm glad that they're going with that instead of, I was afraid it was going to be more like Devil Wears Prada, where she starts off as this like wide eyed innocent and then becomes brutalized until she turns into Cruella DeVille. Uh, and I'm glad that's not, that's not actually what it looks like it is. Yeah, and uh, Emma Stone, she really looked like she was having fun and chewing scenery in this part, and like you know, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll watch this thing, uh, it, you know, when it comes to streaming. Uh, so, well, they're yeah, they're holding, they're really holding out hope that it's still going to be able to play in theaters later on this year, but we'll see. This this would be one that I would think. Uh, yeah, if, I was if, holding if, out hope that I could go to an NBA game this year, but that um, you know that's not going to happen either. This is one of those movies that I think uh, there is definitely a chance Disney will blink if theaters can't successfully open wide by fall. I think we may end up seeing this one for one of those $30 Disney Plus get it early things. Like what they what? like a Mulan. They'll pull a Mulan on it. Mm-hmm. Lon, if there was another Disney villain that you could uh, see mm. a, an origin story for live action... Who would it be? Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll think about, uh, I, I, I actually have a, I have, okay, I have two. We're going to start with Great Mouse Detective, a Disney movie I talk about all the time because it was one that I particularly loved growing up. Uh, so Vincent Price voices Radigan, who's the Great Mouse Detective's version of Moriarty. Uh, he would, I feel like, could have a whole series of films just about the great escapades of Master Criminal. Obviously, the late Vincent Price no longer with us. You'd find today somebody who could really play a real mustache-twirling villain type. But I feel like especially we're basically talking about the cartoon rodent version of Netflix's Lupin. Like, that's that's the same kind of character, like a, like a gentleman thief, like a brilliant, devious criminal mastermind. And we're following his exploits. I feel like that could be great. Uh, not, it's not a prequel, but I pitched this on SJU, and, and ever since pitching it, I feel even more strongly about it. So I'm going to give you the even more refined pitch. Do it. Uh, I want to see a House of Cards type political drama about Scar in the immediate post Mufasa era. How does he get control of the Pride Lands? Like, imagine coming in, the king has just been killed. His son, who you're saying is the murderer, has fled the kingdom. You've got to unite the gazelles, the zebras, the giraffes. You're bringing the hyenas in. There's a lot of machinations going on. I think this could be really interesting. I also have never understood why do all of these animals need a king in the first place? I think this is a real, this is a question left unanswered by the original film Lion King. Do they need a king? It seems like it's just hunting and eating and sleeping with these animals. Well, we're in a fictional world where animals sing songs, Lon. Sure, but even by their own, like, even going by the reality of the movie. Okay, we're in a world where animals are all sentient and they can talk and they can sing songs. I accept it. I accept this world. But even even by that... They're not really clear about what the king does. He's like, you need uh, a king. Oh. You need a king to make a decree to say, "Don't go over into those shadowlands because hyenas are there." But that's just anybody could just be like, 
hey, Dad, I'm going to go play in the Shadowland. Don't do that. That's, that's, that's It's an elephant graveyard. Okay, but if you have a king, if you have a king saying it. Like, there's hyenas there. It's obvious that you don't need a king. Like, he doesn't need to rule. It's just don't go there. Just put up a sign. I mean, you need a king so you can have um, the movie. Without a king, it's just, uh, you know, a, a, a pissing contest between a couple of cats. It could, could be the lion president. Oh, so you're just uh, you, you just have trouble with monarchy. Could you be, want yeah, there to be, be a democratic Could be the lion, vote. could be the lion, you know, the lion head of phase four for this month until we, we rotate. So, you know, like, I, who's telling these animals they need to have a monarchy? Top like, lion why in is charge? it feudalism in the savannah? Well, yeah, it, you know, it, it could have been it could have been capitalism in the savannah. It could have been like a, a lion company and it would have been the lion. It could have been the lion CEO and Scar wants to take over Lion Industries Incorporated. That's yeah, it's just lion billions now. I don't think this sounds any better. I'm just saying like like in actual life, like if you went to the Velt, to the Pride Lands, that. No, no king. They're they're fucking making it happen. No central government whatsoever. The the animals are just wandering around. They're they're all anarchists. Every fucking animal in the world is a goddamn anarchist. Lawless rebels. Bullshit. They're all rugged individualists. None of them. They're all like, I live. I'm a sovereign citizen. Every You're animal. wrong. You're wrong. Go to a beehive. All right, you're right. Bees and bees. And, yeah, the, the smallest, tiniest, shittiest animals. You're right. Okay, and I'll, uh, and one more. Check out an anthill. Look at workers of workers of the world unite. The, the tiny, awful animals, the pests, the ones that we stomp if we see them. Beehive's a monarchy. An anthill is socialism. And uh, there you have it. There you have it, folks. Well, that, that wraps up this episode of NPR's animal politics. Indeed. Uh, my answer would be Ursula. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I forgot how we even got on that. <laughs> me, me with a 30-minute diatribe, and then you're like, want to see what happens with that sea witch? Um, also, uh... Well, wait, no, give me more. I'm sorry. Give me more. What, 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 about, what would the Ursula prequel I mean, Ursula, entail? You know, I'd, I just want to... S- First off, uh, I love that, you know, Ursula unapologetically plus size and like a hero to plus size. Like, no, I think that's really cool. Why are you like you declared yourself like a representative of the fat community before? And I can't. I <laughs> know. That's why I thought it was funny. I but, like you know. that. I dude, I can uh, like I can be an ally to <laughs> Plus sized Ursula fans. You're you are you're you're one of our great you're one of our greatest allies. Listen, I'm all I want is to be recognized as an ally, an ally to the fat community. We salute you. Uh, but no, but I like that because and I, I was I, laughing at your funny idea. I don't I didn't mean it in a bad way. No, but sometimes I feel like, oh, am I pandering or something? If you're, uh, but I mean a little bit, but that's what's kind of funny no, but, about but, it. But actually. <laughs> I got pissed off when I saw that they were making some like action figures or something of Little Mermaid characters, and they skinnied Ursula down. I'm like, what? No. Oh, right. Well, is it is it is it tentacled Ursula or is it Vanessa 
when Ursula turns... Because Ursula does, when she transforms into a lady, she does transform herself into a thin lady. No, I, I think it was tentacled. It was still tentacled Ursula, and but she was a lot slimmer. Can I also ask, why does she only have six... She doesn't have eight arms. She only has six. That's a she's good not, question. She's not a proper octopus. Oh, uh, I mean, someone must have been having some Ursula calamari. Oh, horrible. Oh, no wonder she's so... This is why she's so angry. Now we've got the Ursula prequel. Or maybe it got cut off in like, ooh, a bad hentai porn accident. We just got explicit tagged. Thanks a lot. Oops, NSFW, everybody. <laughs> All right, coming up, we are going to talk about some docu-series and Judas and the Black Messiah. Juan, Judas and the Black Messiah dropped on HBO Max over the over the weekend, and uh, we both watched it. We did. And we both watched it. it, it here's a, a naive question. Is this film, it is eligible for, it, it, the release is 2020, correct? Well, right. It, I actually was very curious about this, too. I looked this up, which is how I know the answer. They extended the deadline for all of these award shows to late February of 2021. So Judas and the Black Messiah is going to be considered a 2021 film. It did not open anywhere in 2020. It's debuting this past week on in theaters and on HBO Max, but it's eligible for last year's Oscars. So it will be in the running, and it's been nominated for a WGA award mm-hmm. for its screenplay. Yeah, uh, written by Will Burson and Shaka King. Shaka King also directed it. I thought this was a really well done film. I thought it was it was just a you know, I don't want to get too explicit or get anybody horny talking about this movie, but I thought it was a a taut muscular film and just that it gets right into it. Like there's no wasted celluloid in this movie. Like I was really like, "Oh, they're getting cuz a lot of times there's just like hemming and hawing in a movie and you're waiting for it to kick in. This movie clicks into gear. And kind of doesn't stop. I'll tell you what uh, the script is. I, I loved it. I think it's, it's brilliant. I, the, the script the, the script does so well. And then Shaka King's direction also really picks up on this. It's We're so used to, and I love these movies. Don't get me wrong. But we're so used to these sort of Oliver Stone, even like Spike Lee goes this way in Five Bloods, where we're watching these historical dramas and they're trying to cram in every bit of context that they possibly can. It's like, we want to give you the entire history of this moment and everything that was going on so you could watch this one movie and have all of this context on everything that's happening. And this movie goes the entirely other way. And it's like, you're getting the real history and the story, but it's just laser focused on the personalities and the characters and the relationships. And they cut out all the fat. There's you're learning about the Black Panthers and the FBI and the civil rights movement in this moment and how all of these different characters, they're all different sort of how they all felt about what was happening. But you're only learning about it through how it affected them as people in in the moment and through their the development of their relationships. You're not getting any narration or TVs or newspapers or here's what was good. There's no table setting at all. And it makes it riveting. I mean, it yeah, makes it like there was like a little bit of historical context up top with some, uh, with, with some docu-footage, uh, but that was um, 
perfectly necessary and went yeah minimal and it went seamlessly right into the film and the and and you said it focuses on uh the these the story and the characters and the performances are out of sight i mean especially who i think may, might be our greatest working actor right now if you, if i had to give the heavyweight belt i might give it to lakeith stanfield i everything he does he is just like the guy can play anything. I mean, I haven't seen the romantic uh, uh, drama uh, photograph, uh, which it, it seems like a departure from the things I love him for. But in Atlanta, in Sorry to Bother You, in this, and just like his little cameo, his little his smaller role, sorry, in Get Out, he is he's he is so malleable. He can play anything, and so unpredictable. And this duplicitous character this character who is just uh in it for himself to save his own hide uh it, i mean the back and forth man it's you can read it on his face in his eyes he's so good yeah uh a, a, a fantastic movie daniel kaluuya also amazing as uh, fred hampton and and he's getting I, I feel like I shouted this guy out on Binge Boys two or three times already, but you're you're getting it again. He's just everywhere right now. Uh, Jesse Plemons. He's he's also going to be. He just got announced today. He's going to star in the next Scorsese film, Killers of the Flower Moon. I have to feel like it's at least in part Scorsese must have seen Judas of the Black Messiah. He's incredible because it's it's one of those performances where he's fucking scum. I mean, he is like the villain of the movie. But it's this incredibly genteel, calm, quiet, reserved. He never feels the need to tip you off that this is a bad guy. He lets his actions 100% speak for them. He's a nice guy. He's friendly and kind and he smiles a lot. And like he invites William O'Neill into his home and he's like, you had to help yourself to the special scotch. And it reminded me a little bit of um, we talked about uh, One Night in Miami where there was that great, um, that Bo Bridges moment where it's like, that's more chilling. The, the I'm evil and rotten to the core, but I'm presenting you with this incredibly folksy, charming, friendly exterior is more chilling than just an angry, mean guy. And Plemons nails that in this. It's ice just so cold behind his eyes. It's incredible. Yep, uh, racism can show up with a big smile and open arms. Yeah, all all three, and uh, uh, I mean, there, there, there's a bunch of great performances, but, but all yeah, three I agree of those with you on were... when life gives you when life gives you lemons, lemonade, lemonade. And also, just the the action. It's uh, it's often a gut punch. Like you know, it's it's no secret that Freddie Hampton is murdered and that scene that is like it's shocking and hard to watch just like the violence that is unleashed on uh this community on um this group the black panthers and also you can't help but see how it echoes today you know black panthers distinctly different i don't want to make that say that they're the same as black lives matter but just in uh the way that their cause still resonates and the same things that they're fighting for. Uh, yeah. Uh, people, you know, are being gunned down today. It's a, it's a so, good, it's a good antidote. We, we, the Trump era made a lot of people on the left, I think side a little bit with like the FBI. It's like, well, look, they're trying to like investigate some of this stuff and like, 
the Trump, you know, like that. But it's nice to to remember, like, oh no, horrible pieces of shit, like they're just terrible people doing horrible things. Good, a, a bracing reminder. Yes, and it delves into the, yeah the the FBI and um, J Edgar Hoover, played by uh, Martin Sheen in this film, and it shows that yeah, it, what was happening, a lot of the racism systemic. So. Judas and the Black Messiah on HBO Max. Uh, yeah, let's nominate this for some awards, Lon. Do what you can. And uh, absolutely, watch this film. Uh, it's a, a great piece of uh, cinema. Don't call it content. And a, a great historical tome, historical film. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Judas and the Black Messiah. Lon, you and I both had a little stay at the Cecil Hotel, oh correct? Boy. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus metaphorically Christ. speaking. I fucking hated this thing. Man. This uh, is, this uh, we're talking about be... Crime Scene, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel, which uh, came out on Netflix. Yeah. It's a this... four-part docu-series on Netflix. I didn't watch the whole thing. I gave up after a while. I, listen, listen. I think this may be the worst thing we've talked about since since we started Binge Boys. I think this is the <laughs> thing I've enjoyed the least out of everything we've ever reviewed. This, this Here's the thing. There, you could tell right away. You could tell right away there was something weird and wrong about this. Because in the very intro, they're like, there's a guy in voiceover. He's like, you're talking about a hotel full of, like, drug dealers and prostitutes, but people who are, like, murderers are staying there. What kind of hotel is that? What kind of hotel are you talking about? And he's trying to make it sound like this is some crazy, unimaginable, like, what supernatural thing could have possibly happened to fill this hotel with drug dealers? Like, it's unimaginable. It's like... No, it's on fucking Skid Row, man. They're, that's not, they're, what do you think? Like, that whole neighborhood is full of drug dealers and prostitutes because we in the city of Los Angeles made the conscious decision to put all of them there and, like, force them there. Yeah, I, I absolutely hear you, Lon. There are, there, and there are hotels like the, yeah, Skid Row is uh, just a really, uh, you know, un- unfortunate area where everyone is kind of cordoned off, uh, people uh, who are, uh, unhoused and homeless and you have places like this in cities across america where there are hotels that uh you want to have that are you know where some shit goes down but like skid row in particular it's like it's this horrific human rights catastrophe that we've allowed to fester for generations in los angeles and there's like 10 minutes of this docuseries that's like well, here's the history of Skid Row, and here's why Skid Row is the way it is, and oh, well, it's terrible. Anyway, back to the hotel mystery, and it's like, no, that is the hotel. Mi- there's no other mystery. Like, why are we pretending that there's some fucking mystery here? Like, this hotel has a lot of terrible shit happen to it because there's a lot of terrible shit happening in the entire neighborhood around the hotel. You fucking assholes. Lon. <laughs> really just shots fired at crime scene the vanishing at the cecil hotel i was like why is the bear grill special interactive and not this this is the thing i wanted to yell at let bear grill save the animals on his fucking own man i was i got mad at this uh i was also mad at this but for different reasons than you oh i got mad at this for another reason too but you do yours first yeah yeah well first off it was four episodes only needed to be one, only need to, like, 
there was a lot of wasted time here. Like we met the clerk at the hotel and we started to get a lot of her backstory. Like she moved out to California at this time. And then. Oh, the lady who runs it. Yeah. Yes. I don't need to know that. Why are you telling me this? She's and then, got that one scene where she's walking down the hallway and she's like, and the guy who, uh, you know, the, the guy who cleans it up, I was like, Did somebody die in that room. And he's like, yep. And I was like, somebody, somebody die in that room. And he's like, yep. And, like, and she's like, is there any room in the hotel where nobody died? He's like, nope, not really. And it's like, yeah, like, <laughs> why, why are you having this conversation with this guy? What are you hoping to gain from this? Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. Is there any room in the hotel where nobody's not? Yes, 387. Well, there you go. Charge more for that one. Um, That'll be extra. But also, well, this isn't necessarily the uh, fault of it, but the internet sleuths. Let's talk a second about internet sleuths. Web sleuths. Web sleuths. 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 Net sleuths. 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 Whatever you want to say. You know, it, it reminded me of another docu-series don't fuck with cats where internet sleuths were the heroes of the story more or less here oh they're they're fucking just hobbyist villains <laughs> these little internet sleuth hobbyists they ruined a guy's life there's a like a death metal dude who uh pops up i mentioned him earlier morbid as we were talking about him and people like noticed his some content he was posting and called him out. This must be the murderer. And it ruined this guy's life. And he wasn't the murderer. Yeah, I mean, I, it is partly the, I'm going to put it back on this, this docu-series though. I, I'll tell you, like, I'm a little tired of, I feel like Netflix especially is really hitting this hard, but it's not just them. Like web sleuths and their investigations is becoming this really lazy, easy documentarian shorthand where Mm -hmm. it's just like there's oh well we'll put a sequence in there where somebody will discuss like here's my impression Hal, of here's a guy uh, an expert on web sleuthing in a netflix documentary so you know this video goes up and it's like it's a pretty crazy video and this thing starts going like super viral like it this thing is everywhere it is taken over the internet it's like i we know we know what going viral means. You don't need to bring in a talking head to tell us that the video went viral and show us a little counter going up in the millions of views. Like, I'm so sick of this whole fucking tropey, like, cut to a shot of the computer monitor reflected in the person's glasses and then a shot of them typing on a keyboard and then a mouse clicking and then web pages scrolling. And it's like, I'm just fucking tired of this whole thing. Like, it's not interesting anymore. We're all on the internet. We know how Google works. We know how social media works. We get that there are people who spend their fucking time trying to solve mysteries using the internet. I don't need any more movies about it. Just just, just get to what happened. I don't care about the people looking. And I will say the video that uh, kind of inspired a lot of the craze uh, when it was released onto the internet several years ago, it was it's pretty wild. It's like a very bizarre looking um, kind of pa- like paranormal activity. Elise or, Lamb but, is the name of the young woman, and she was staying at the Cecil Hotel. She some some there was some some incident. Something happened. Security camera footage in the elevator captured her acting really bizarrely, 
and it, it was extremely odd. And there's so much, and that sparked all the speculation. Well, they debunk all of that. Right, of course. Because they also slowed down the video so that it looks more strange and alien. And the the truth of it, it's it's not fulfilling. This documentary leaves you, uh, it, it leaves you mad that you wasted your time watching it. But here's the thing. I blame myself as well because I want every true crime documentary series to end the way the jinx did. <laughs> with, the, with the person admitting that they did it. With, with the person saying, I did it, I killed them all. Killed or them whatever. All, of course. <laughs> <laughs> the, I, like, I want a full revelation and like, yes, we got them, lock them up. But uh, alas, no, uh, it's just content. It's just, yeah, just more content for the content mill. Yeah, I just, I don't know. To me, there was like, you should make a documentary about how awful conditions are on Skid Row and how we shouldn't have a Skid Row. And if you want to mention, also there's this hotel where all sorts of horrible things happen because it's on Skid Row, great. But to make a movie about the hotel and it's like, ooh, a spooky mystery, is like, you have missed the point in a cataclysmic way, in a disastrous way. Lon, would there be any way possible to get rid of the heebie-jeebies you would have after drinking the brown water. <laughs> no, it's permanent. And like again, like exploitative to make people recount that horrible experience for your shitty docuseries, Joe Berlin. Yeah, it's stretched out one episode's worth of content into four episodes. So I, I, I watched the whole damn thing, unlike Lon, and I felt like it was... I wanted a little bit of that time back. I started episode three. I'll walk you through my mindset. I started episode three. It was it was un, it was it was viewing. It was like two three minutes in, so Netflix counts it as a view. And I was like, uh, you know what? I'm not doing this to myself. I don't fucking like this show. I'm out. <laughs> and I never look back. I never look back. Good for you taking a stand. It is good for me. It was good for me. Yes. Bad for me. I, I stuck it through. Crime scene vanishing at the Cecil Hotel on Netflix. Uh, there's some. There's definitely moments throughout, but uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of desert throughout. There are moments well. moments where I was like, maybe I should turn this off now. No, I'll stick with it. But then you turned it off and you left. And then I turned it off. Lon, you're the hero we need right now. Coming up, we're going to talk about FX and Hulu's Hip Hop Uncovered. It's uncovered, Hal. It's uncovered. This this hip hop has been completely uncovered. There's no lid on it. Yeah, it was covered, but they, they they've lifted the veil. They picked up the 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 silver dome on a tray, and boom, there's hip hop. You were like, I think I know about hip hop, and then they lifted this cover. And you were like, trick trick. I don't know a thing about this. Tell True. me more. We we get to meet in this series so far. Um, some of the seminal characters, the people who are basically the heartbeat of the beginnings, early hip hop and into today, influencing it in var in New York, Detroit, Los Angeles. We meet many of the key players who just were were there um, with Jay Z, Dr. Dre. Uh, and so many run others. DMC, run uh, DMC, yeah. LL Cool J, like the big, the, like the seminal names in hip hop. I I love this because this is it. It's an exploration of a thing I think a lot of us sort of know, even from other movies, happened. 
but that you never really hear that much about. We all know that in the early days, there weren't all of a sudden you couldn't, if you were a rapper in like the, the 80s, like the mid 80s, you couldn't just go to a record label and be like, hey, I want to rap. And they would be like, here's a lot of money. Like it works that way today because it's established. But back then, you basically had to have a criminal or a drug dealer give you the money so you could go get the studio time to produce an album. And I think that that's in a lot of like like straight out of Compton depicts that there there are movies and shows that have shown us that journey that a lot of these people went on. But this really this is like we're going to dig in and tell you the very specific stories. We're going to meet the drug dealers who gave them the money so they could go make albums and then toured with them like that guy, Bimmy. Who they're talking about? Oh yeah, he was friends with Run DMC. Like he was on stage with Run DMC on the Joan Rivers show. Like it's unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, and like that guy taking us into the early '80s, the block parties that would happen on these at these playgrounds where, like, if you, if you wanted to, today, if you're if you're going to be the biggest DJ in New York you will be DJing at clubs. You'll probably travel to Las Vegas, to Europe, to all sorts of like electric daisy carnival, whatever. But back then, yeah. the biggest DJ was whoever had the loudest speakers. Right, because like you were trying to get people. And that was because you wanted the people with money in your neighborhood to hear you and be like, that guy's good. I'm going to give them some of my money to make a song. Like, And it, it, it's it's so cool to... to piece all of this together and hear these real stories and, and see these real faces, these people. And there's so much of this footage, like from, from like I would, the, the first two episodes have gone up. I believe there's five or six total. Uh, so this is all about the really early days. And like, these are, you know, events and people and places like you've heard about, but they rare, rare to see it all brought to life like this. So lively and interesting. Um, and to hear, you know, the voices of all of these people, including the most terrifying person I've seen in any recent documentary, Haitian Jack. Oh, yes. Uh, so uh, th- there's there's a guy uh, named Haitian Jack who uh, wa- was a Haitian immigrant who uh, moved to New York City and just uh, gladly recounts stories about, you know, shooting people. Just and like attempted uh, murder. But, like, we'll tell a story, like, Dr. Dre will tell a story about, like, the first time he met some random person. And then Haitian Jack will tell a story about shooting a guy three times. And they'll have the same expression. Like, there's, Haitian Jack does not get, like, there's five of these, like, OGs who were, like, they were the ones who were, like, the movers and shakers in early hip-hop who were participating in this film. And out of all of them... When they're interviewed and they talk about, like, Deb especially is another one. All of them, when they talk about the criminal stuff they used to do, especially the violent stuff they used to do, there's a sense of regret. They've aged. They've had time to reflect on their youth. And though they, they're they walking you through, like, here's my story and here's why I felt like I had to do the things that I was doing. And, you know, here, here was my reasoning. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not just like mea culpa, but then you look at Haitian Jack and there's just like, boy, he's just like, he does not give a fuck. Like he would shoot you today if there wasn't a camera on him and you owed him some money or something. Like he's just, that is who he is and he owns it so hard. And one thing that I really like about it as well, there, uh, was at least one sociologist who is talking about how 
the quote-unquote inner city or these depressed areas became depressed because of um, white flight, because of factories closing down, because of a lack of tax dollars to go back into the community, to go back into the schools, you are left with these areas that, you know, once thriving parts of the city are kind of left for dead. And you go from being like downtown Detroit is a thriving uh, metropolis with all sorts of factories and workers and, uh, you know, affordable housing. And then, but the whole, all the money, the ta- uh, the tax dollars are sucked out of it. And you're left with, you know, what is essentially Beirut, you know? Yeah. So, um, so it's great that you get to see it from that perspective that, you know, this, the type of hustling that, you know, it's kind of, Hey, what else is there left to do? Because, uh, these, you know, these parts of the city were really almost by design, uh, left for dead. And they touch on the CIA and, you know, the drug wars of the, uh, the 1980s as well. One of my favorite parts of this is just the Mike Tyson interview. Uh, cause he was, he was friends with Haitian Jack and he was around the scene back. Who isn't friends the- with Haitian Jack? Oh yeah, friend of neckerchiefs everywhere. I just love that Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson is holding a joint the entire time, and just like that is his image, or that like that is such a huge part of him. Like Mike Tyson stays high; he is always high. He admitted that re- um, this is not in the documentary, but uh, in the series. But before he fought uh, Roy Jones Jr. recently, he was high. He got high before the fight. Like, uh, I once uh, I once Mike interviewed Tyson. Antonio Banderas, and Antonio Banderas. It's it's not. A lot of the time, people will, you're interviewing, will be like, do you mind? Like, they'd set a publicist to be like, do you mind if the talent smokes? So, like, I interviewed Brad Pitt once and he smoked, but somebody came in first and was like, Brad, Brad really wants to smoke. Do you mind if he smokes? And I was like, no, Brad, if Brad wants to smoke, Brad can fucking smoke. But Banderas, they, the publicist comes in. It's not a, hey, do you mind if Antonio smokes? It's Antonio doesn't do an interview unless he's allowed to smoke. Is it, you're, you're okay? And then she set, and then he she sets a, a, a cigarette, and then she sets down an ashtray. And I've never seen anybody smoke cigarettes this quickly. Like he, we, we were talking for ten minutes. He must have gone through two and a half, three cigarettes. And like that's what reminds me was, was like you're just like he just won't like he can't do an interview and not smoke. He just think he's constantly lighting. And I feel like maybe that's Mike Tyson with joints, where it's like one joint ends, done. Next joint comes in. It's just a constant. My guy well, stays high. He stays high. Um, <laughs> but, and you're about to tell you, big dude, did, you know, not easy to stay as high as you want all day consistently. You got to feed the beast, you know. Uh, but I agree with you, Lon. This is, uh, it's kind of a must for uh, any hip hop fan. And it gets into just this, like, if you thought you knew a, a lot about early hip hop, this really unpacks it. It's unfucking covered. The lid's not part of the way off where a little steam's coming out. All the way. They're ripping it. The lid is off, people. You're going to meet Deb. Yes, you're going to meet Big U, Trick Trick, Deb, Haitian Jack, Bimmy. But Wow, nicely done. Was that off the top of your head? That's all five. That was nicely done off the top of oh, your head. Thank you. Yeah, fascinating characters, great stories, and... Like this, like this music that uh, defines so much of culture. This is where it was born. Also, a lot of rappers uh, we we didn't mention. Like I mentioned, Dre was an Ice T, Snoop Dogg, Too Short. Like a lot of oh, DMC 
Waka Flocka. Like a lot of rappers uh, are in it too, just popping up, offering their insights too. Definitely worth watching if you're a fan of this stuff, for sure. Absolutely. Lon, I think we've come to the end of the road. I should hope so. I'm exhausted. Boys to men. It's a lot of, a lot of screaming. Stars. Yeah, it really, really is. We've we've gone there and back again. Hoot hoot. Hashtag Owl Nation. Thank you to all the, all of our hooligans out there. Lon shakes his head. Uh, I want to thank Starburns. I want to thank our super producer, Adam Macias, for uh, cutting it up on the ones and twos. And Jason Kay for his sweet licks to open the show. And Lon Harris, please tell everybody where they can uh, get a hold of you so they can um, send you angry things over the Internet. Yeah, find me uh, on Twitter at L-O-N-S. I also write a newsletter about all of this stuff. A lot of this I'm just taking, lifting directly from my newsletter. So if you want to hear, read about it before you hear me yell about it, inside.com slash streaming. It's totally free. It's five days a week. Uh, also, I'm on Clubhouse. I'm weekly, every week, with my boss from the newsletter, Jason Calacanis. We're going to be hosting a Clubhouse chat just about streaming shows, what to watch. You could pop in and actually ask me live and in person what kind of shows you should watch based on what you're watching. So I'm at Lon Harris on Clubhouse if you want to come find me there. Very fancy, very fancy, Lon Harris. Uh, hit him up and tell him that animals do live in royal monarchies and hierarchies. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Hal Rudnick, H-A-L-R-U-D-N-I-C-K. Come by and talk some shit. I want to thank everybody for listening. Please go to iTunes and uh, give us a handsome five-star rating if you see fit. And, uh, yeah, thanks again for listening, y'all. Bye-bye. Kaboom. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch in the fuck out of shit.